from the book of St. Luke, the 8th chapter, verses 22 through 25. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was a calm and he said unto them where is your faith and they being afraid wondered saying one to another what manner of man is this for he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. I would like for us to try to look into for a few minutes into four words of this passage of scripture that I have read in your presence. Where is your faith? In this scene here, we see a troubled time among the disciples. As they are on the sea and caught into a storm. Folks, if we don't get any more out of this than just a storm on the lake, we've missed the point. Now, as they were in jeopardy here, one of the things that they could have had their faith and their trust in is in the boat that they were in. They probably had that boat built according to specifications of the boats in that day, and they had seen that it was put together well and that it was worthy to do the job that they were doing with it. But somehow or other, they had gotten caught in something that was unforeseen.
and the boat that they were in was not sufficient. Then the next thing that they could have trusted in and had their faith in would have been their ability to sail. How many times have you heard people say in your lifetime, oh, you don't need to worry about me, I know what I'm doing. They had everything under control. But like this scene that we're looking at now, sometimes something unexpectedly sips up on us. We think we know all the things to do and when to do them. These men here had probably been taught in navigation how that the tides and the winds would work, how to set their course. But somehow or other, they, on the course that they were on at this particular time, they had met with the unexpected. And the waters had filled the boat. Now, there could have been some of the folks there that was on the shore whenever they got back to tell the story and said, well, they should have known better than to have went out in a boat like that anyhow. You know, how many times have we heard that? Should have known better anyhow, you see. Anybody ought to knew better than that. What they needed was a larger boat. But let me tell you, folks, that's not what they needed. That was very well proved in the Titanic. I don't know about in the city where you live, but it's current news in the Atlanta newspaper. Just a few days ago, that ship has been down 68 years. And it was on its maiden voyage that it met its disaster. It was such a famous ship until only the rich could afford the first ride. They had their faith in that ship the uttermost. They had finally designed and built a boat that was unsinkable. It had a double bottom built into it. It had watertight compartments so that if anything ever happened to the double bottom, then they could stop the water in the watertight compartments of it. It was just unsinkable, was their view of it. But on its maiden voyage, it met with an iceberg that was big enough to burst the bottom. Folks, you can put your dependence in anything you want to. You can build your faith on anything that you care to. 
but there's not but one safe place. Bless God, it's in the hands of him. Amen. Only place. No other place. They was having a quite a time on this maiden voyage. The band was playing, and they was really celebrating whenever they heard the muffled sound that hardly shook the vessel. Some of them said, we're in trouble. They said, no, just forget it, and the band played on. But as the water ran into the ship and began to put the steam boilers out and all communications was put off from shore, there comes a time, folks, when you can't talk to but one up there. Only communication you'll have is up there. They got in that shape. As the water began to creep up, they told the band, said, let's change our tune and start playing nearer, oh my God, to thee. Wherever we are in life, let's don't forget one thing. Sometime we're going to have to meet our maker face to face. <clears throat> we're going to have to answer for the deeds that's done in the body. Not what we intended to do, but what we've done. We'll have to give an account of it. I don't know, somehow or other, in thinking of this, I thought, well, it's not the large vessel that we really needed, but God's able to take us over a troubled sea in a number two wash tub. Now, I don't guess you ever heard that. You might say, now, that's kind of ridiculous. Let's get realistic about it. Well, we'll leave the tub out of it just a minute, and we'll go to Peter. He didn't need the tub. All I'm trying to do is just mix a little faith in with it. And if we can get enough of that, we won't even need the tub. Step out, Peter, put his foot on the water, and it was solid. Amen. <laughs> solid. On faith? Sure, on faith. What else have you got that's any greater than to step out on faith? I'm building my whole life on it. Faith in God to carry me through, to supply my every need, to take care of me if I get out on the troubled sea or have to walk on the water. I believe he can still take care of the situation. Yes, he can. He hadn't lost his power, folks. Let's don't forget that. He hadn't lost his power. Let's get back to the wash tub a minute. What is it? Now, some of you young folks may have to ask your mother to find out what a wash tub, number two wash tub is, or you may have to go to your grandmother. I don't know how far back you got to go. Find out what a number two wash tub is. But let me tell you just a little bit about what it is. A wash tub and the number two wash tub is one where they, the lady used to wash 
over a rub board to earn a living, to put bread on the table. And after they had worked all day long, washing in a wash tub, they prepared a quick meal at night, got on their clothes and went to church and sang the old hymn, I know the Lord will make a way for me. If I live a holy life, shun the wrong and choose the right, I know the Lord will make a way for me. Bless God he did. And praise the Lord, he will. Now, he did and he will. Made a way. That's back in the days when some of the folks that we have right out here in the wintertime walked 10 miles in the snow after a day's work to get to a church to praise God. That's right. They're right out here. That's right. Hey. Now, a luxury liner to heaven might make music into your ears sometimes, but I'll tell you one thing, it won't bring the fire down like the old rugged cross. Never bring the fire down like that. Never bring the fire down like the old hymn we sing, The Way of the Cross leads home it does folks let's don't ever try to make the trip without bearing the cross now in the last part of this 25th verse let me mention this to you the disciples found out that they had more refuge in Jesus than they knew they had. How? They said, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the water obey him. Had more than they really knew about. Did you know that if we search the will of God, if we get completely covered and surrounded and submerged in the blessed Holy Spirit, we'll probably find out we got more than we knew we had. Right, folks. Amen. In talking about faith, sometimes I feel that we have a lack of faith in people. Many times it's sad. I want to tell you about one. There was a baby born in the state of Ohio, I believe, many years ago. And at the age of seven years, 
the little fellow was entered in the public school system. He was only in the school system three months, and that's all he got to attend. The teacher said he was a dunce. And he was taken out of the public school system. His mother decided she was the only one left to try to teach him. So she took on her the job of trying to teach her son that they called a dunce. He started and trotted into earning his own living when he was 12 years old. Selling newspapers on a train as a news butch. Some of you may have to get some of your folks to help you out there a little bit. I'm getting back a good way. Some of you probably hadn't seen a train. He was selling newspapers as a news butch on the train. And in his way of trying to do something as a dunce, he finally decided he'd go in the newspaper business for himself, so he put a printing press in the baggage car of the train where he sold. Later on, he put some chemistry material in the baggage car and got to tinkering with chemistry. One night, he was off of the train as it made his stop selling and trying to sell his newspapers. He didn't hear the conductor when he hollered all aboard and the train started to pull out. The young man went and grabbed onto the back end of the train as it was going off. And he did get a hold of it and the conductor reached down and grabbed him by the ears in the cold weather and pulled him on board. Hard to understand why a man would do a thing like that, but when he did, something snapped in his head. And from that time on, he began to lose his hearing. Finally went deaf. There was a time when he could have been cured. The doctor says, I can cure you now. And he said, I don't want to be cured. He said, I like it so I don't hear anything. I can concentrate better. So I thought you might take home with you how you hear. He said, I prefer to be where I don't hear. As they were traveling down the road in the joshua of the train, one night some of his chemistry got turned over and ran into the baggage car. And if you know anything about chemistry, some of the wrong things got together and started a fire in the baggage car. They threw him and his chemistry set and his newspaper press off of the train and fired him from his job. Then he began to get into the field of invention, and he began to inventing things. Tonight, we enjoy the electric lights here through Thomas A. Edison's invention. The fans that whirl over your head, the electronics of that is part of his. The air conditioning that you feel now cooling the building is part of his. A dunce. People lost faith in him. 
his mother had to teach him because they said he was a dunce and nobody else could. But the mother wasn't willing to give up. She held on to faith in her son. Thank God for the mothers that won't give up. Let me tell you, mothers, don't give up. Keep praying. If there's anything that'll save us, it'll be that. Now, faith is destroyed by envy and strife and hatred. It is literally destroyed by it. From the 37th chapter of Genesis, I would like to relate just a little to you. We find a man here named Jacob who was later became known as Israel, had 12 sons. The younger of them was named Joseph, and he took a special liking to him because he was the youngest son and made him a coat of many colors. This caused his brethren to envy him lose faith in the young brother because the father seemed to take a little more liking in the young man. They got to where they couldn't even speak peaceably to him, the scripture says. Folks, this is a growing disease. As time went on, the young man dreamed a dream. He said, you know what? I was in the field, and he said, my sheaf suddenly stood up. And he said, your sheaves also stood up, and they paid obedience to my sheep. He said, you don't mean to tell me that we're going to pay obedience to you. He dreamed yet another dream, and he said, the moon and the sun and the eleven stars paid obedience to me. At this, his father even rebuked him. He was fast losing faith in that boy. But his father just pondered the things, but his brothers didn't stop there. As they were out feeding the flocks, the father sent, them one, sent Joseph one day to see how they were doing. And as he went out to see about them, they had moved to another place, a place called Dothan. He found them there, and they saw him coming. Here comes the dreamer. Let's slay him, get rid of him. Really getting to him. We'd be better off without him. Folks, if they had only knew what he was waiting on. One of them said, no, let's don't slay him. Let's just put him in a pit. They put him in a pit and sat down to eat their lunch while their younger brother was in the pit. If I'd have tried to eat, it would have choked me. But they apparently enjoyed the meal while the younger brother was in the pit. 
the Ishmaelites came along, they said, let's just sell him. We don't want his blood on our hand. He's our brother. We'll let somebody else do the dirty work. <laughs> right. We'll let somebody else do the dirty work. Let's just sell him. So they sold him and got 20 pieces of silver for him. Folks, this story can go on and on, but I'm going to get rid of it right quick here now for you. You know the story. There came a time when they got hungry. They came a time when their flocks and their herds didn't have enough to eat. So they sent down into Egypt down there to get some corn to feed themselves and their flocks. Didn't know who they were going to meet. They just knew there were corn down there, you see. So they went down there to get corn. And before this whole thing was over, let's just finish it up. They ran into the brother that they had sold and thought they'd got rid of him. Folks, listen. There's no way to get rid of God. You can't get rid of him. He'll be there as long as you live. There's not but one thing to do, and that is to yield to the will of God. Become obedient to him. He is the one that's in control. He's the one that has everything in his hands. You sing the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Let's believe it. He has. He's got you and I in his hands. Whether you love him or whether you don't, let's believe it. He has. He controls our future. Let's believe it. He does. He's going to see that every knee bows to him and every tongue confesses. And I've been pretty well persuaded that some of them may not do it here, but it'll face you over there. We're going to do it, whether we want to or not, or whether we like it or not. We're going to bow our knee to him, and we're going to confess to him. They met the brother, and they found out that he didn't have any envy or strife or hatred in his heart against him. Come on in, boys. Come on in. I got corn for you and for your cattle. I'm going to see that you're well taken care of. That was sure a different story, folks, than a lot of the things you meet today. I'll assure you that. This takes the love of God. Now, one of the greatest lessons that I know of in the Bible, and you don't hear too much about it, you do and you don't. It's from the prayer that Jesus prayed in the 26th chapter of St. Matthew. And I would like for us to look at this just for a few moments. This is in 
the 26th chapter of St. Matthew, and it's from the 30th to the 45th verses, and if you care to look at it and read it for yourself sometime. After Jesus and his disciples had completed the Last Supper, this scripture here tells us that they went out into the Mount of Olives. And as they went out into the Mount of Olives there, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, All of you shall be offended of me because of me this night. All of you. <clears throat> Peter, he answered in him and he said, Lord, though all men shall be offended, I shall never, never be offended. Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, before the cock crows, you are going to deny me thrice. Peter said, no, not me, Lord. He said, I'm ready to die with you. And not only him, also the rest of the disciples said so. Every one of them. We'll die with you, Lord. The next thing that the scripture records here is that they came to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they entered the garden, Jesus told his disciples, he said, sit ye here while I go pray yonder. And as he proceeded on, he took with him Peter, James, and John a little farther with him. And he says, sit here and tarry and watch with me. And as he went a little farther, the scripture says that he fell on his face. Folks, I can imagine the load that he carried. Went as far as he could and fell on his face. And as he fell, he prayed, Oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me but not as I will, but as thou will. He went back to see about the disciples and they were asleep. He said, could you not watch with me one hour? In the time of a crisis, in the time of our, my greatest need, could you not watch with me one hour? He said, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Very good for this time. Don't leave it off. 
Don't leave it off, folks. If you do, you'll find that we'll be in serious trouble. Watch and pray. He went off again and prayed, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Came back again, and the disciples were asleep again because the scripture says their eyes were heavy. He went off the third time, and the scripture says that he prayed the same words. Didn't change the prayer, just the same thing. Came back to him the next time, and he said, Sleep on now and take your rest. I'm now to be delivered into the hands of sinners. I would like for us to notice one thing that we hear very little about on this prayer. And let's notice it just for a few seconds here. What changed about the whole picture because of these three prayers that Jesus prayed? Listen, he was leading you and me and a lost world. Not only was he telling us how to pray, the world's full of people that can tell you what to do, but not so many that can sh show you what to do. He was telling them and also showing them. What changed about the whole picture, the three prayers, what was it that was changed? What was affected by his praying? There wasn't one physical thing that was changed about all of the praying that he done. Not one. The disciples were offended just like he said. They fell asleep just like he said. He was denied just like he said. He was beaten just like it was prophesied. When he asked for a drink in his final hours, when it looked like if any mercy should have ever been shown, it would have been to a suffering man when he asked for only one thing, I thirst, I need a drink. So they ran quickly and got him some vinegar to drink. wasn't changed at all. The thorns in the crown was placed on his head just the same as it was going to be from way back in the prophet's days whenever they prophesied. It took place just like they said. He was spit upon just like it was prophesied. 
His praying didn't change it. He was nailed to the cross just like it was prophesied. The nails pierced his hands and his feet. His praying didn't change it a bit. His side was pierced with a sword just like it was prophesied. Praying didn't change a bit of it. Prayed three times and it all went on just like it was prophesied. What happened? What was the change? His attitude is what was changed. Folks, listen. Are you listening? The greatest thing that we have to be changed in all of our lives is our attitude. You don't have anything any greater to be changed. Your attitude. What are you going to do now if the world turns against you and they won't agree with you and everybody begins to slander you and persecute you and rebuke you? What are you going to do about it? Pray enough to where you can get your attitude fixed and drive on with him. Now, that's what happened with Christ. He gave us the example. He told us and he showed us what to do. His attitude was affected to where he could say he was willing. I got a letter some time ago from a place that was out of town where I live. And I've still got that letter. It means a lot to me. In this letter that I got, it was a letter that was very nice. But at the end of the letter, it says, pray that we will be willing to be used of God. We'll never be, folks, until we are willing. Never. We must be willing to be used of God. This is what Jesus accomplished by his three prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I would like to say to you tonight, what is he worth to you? Put a value on it. What's he worth? Now, I can't tell you what he's worth to you. I could tell you what he did for the world, and I could tell you what he gave his life for, but I can't tell you what he's worth to you. You are the only one that can tell what he's worth to you. You and you alone. Now then, back to the four words. Where is your faith? What are you building on? What are you trusting in? If you have a need tonight, let's stand while we sing a song of invitation. 
And if you have a need tonight, let's meet here at an altar of prayer. If God's worth anything to you, if the Son is worth anything to you, let's kneel at an altar of prayer. We'll never meet God in peace until we do. Shall we stand?